podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. New Norelco Clippers with two guards, Friday night t-shirt with the pocket on the front, flip-flops in my special flip-flop bag, local money, (laughs) eye mask, and earplugs. What are you doing, boss man? I am running down the essentials, the things that I must bring when I go on a trip, the things that I feel naked without. (laughs) Your Friday night t-shirt? What about your passport? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Definitely the passport, too. That's a little bit below flip-flops, though. Can I interest you in a conversation about packing, then, and travel in general? Yes. As you know, if it were up to me, I would do every single episode about this topic. I know. Over the years, we've talked a lot on this show about traveling, how to pack your bag, approaches to it. Today, actually, we're going to have a conversation with ourselves. So we pulled up an episode that we did five years ago today, boss man. Wow. And we are going to have a conversation, so to speak, with our younger selves and see what's changed in our approach to travel, tips, tricks, and essential strategies that you're using to get from here to there and to have a successful trip. So just a little bit of background. We're going to Bangkok for our annual event, DCBKK, and I'm super excited And not only because it's just a chance to travel, but for me, it's sort of like a sabbatical that's become an opportunity to go on like a self-improvement adventure. And that all starts with the conference and the inspiration and sort of the plans I make for myself there. And I carry that on into, I go up into the, the mountains of Chiang Mai, ride my bike a lot and try to get a lot of work done and meet a lot of people. But I look at it really more like a self-improvement journey. Whereas last year, I just kind of like dove into it and went to a new place in the mountains. This year, I'm going at it with a whole plan of how to get the most out of it. Part of it, I have to assume, is that you've been to most of these places now that you're returning back to. So you're able to optimize. That's the case a lot of times, right? You get a new place, like you'd been to Chiang Mai before, but you hadn't figured out where all the cycling spots were, where you can dope up on caffeine before your rides, where you can get parts for your microphone, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, once you go back to a place and you have all these things figured out, it's much smoother, it's much easier, and you can start to focus on more high-level things. That's important because it can be really frustrating when, you know, part of the joy and the pain in the ass of travel is that you can be solving like really low-order problems. Yeah. And when you're thinking about something more like a sabbatical, you know, I, w- I have a lot of goals for this. Like, I want to do a bunch of interviews and conversations for this show. I do want to improve my cycling and do base training. Like, I have a lot of ambition for this trip. And so, things like, does my apartment open up out onto the street level or is it in a condominium complex? Over the course of eight weeks, that makes a big difference. So, it's those sorts of optimizations that I think matter a lot more to a sabbatical than, you know, when you're just seeking novelty and new experiences and and your being on the road. So from a high level, I think a lot of the way I look back at, you know, these 10 points, these strategies that we laid out five years ago, a lot of my travel back then was way more ad hoc. And I love that kind of travel. But 
I think over the last five years, I've explored a lot more of this proactive type of sabbatical or long extended slow travel or vacations or whatever, where I've got a clearer plan, I'm making advanced plans, and uh, I'm traveling a little heavier. You know, the one thing that I've noticed that's different in the last five years is when I travel, I I seem to try and recreate my home a lot, if that makes sense. (laughs) You get yourself in a situation where it's like quiet in my case, where you have a separate room to work, where you have everything that you need to basically be as productive as possible when you need to work. Before, I used to choose places based on like adventure or being completely different than where I lived. And now I'm finding myself like recreating my place in Barcelona, recreating my place in Bangkok. So Ian, today we're going to take a look back at an episode we did in 2013, number 184, called The 10 Travel Commandments. We are going to comment on them with older I wouldn't quite say wiser eyes, just different, just different eyes. And we're going to see how indubitable these commandments actually were. <laughs> quite confident back then. So number one, Ian, thou shall not roll. That is when you travel, you should pack in a day pack or a business bag. Rolling luggage is not for the seasoned traveler. You can't check it in. I've seen you break this. I have. I've seen you break this quite recently, actually. <laughs> Yeah. So you now have wheels. Here's the thing. There's different sites of travel, like we talked about at the top of the show. And there's this beautiful, wandering, nomadish type of explore the world on a whim type of travel that has had a big influence on me and it's important to me. And if you're doing that kind of travel, I think thou shall not roll stands. You want to be flexible. You don't want to be forced into compromised situations in busy places. However, if you're looking to maximize your productivity, spend a good amount of time somewhere, there's a lot I can say about this, but for me, the most relevant thing here is bringing a monitor. So when I was doing this nomad type of lifestyle for years on end, whenever I would sit down in a, a new apartment for longer than a few weeks, I would always do the math, like, should I walk down to the mall and buy a large monitor so I can be effective at work? I work on a computer all day long. What I realized is that those monitors fit pretty well in those rolling suitcases, Ian. (laughs) So so really, that's the calculus for me. If I'm going to go somewhere where I'm going to be working for a week or or multiple weeks on end, I'm going to make that sacrifice up front, go a little bit slower at the beginning so I can go faster on the long haul. For me, it's all about where I'm staying. You know, this time I'm coming into Bangkok, Dan, I'm staying at the Conrad and then I'm flying out of the Conrad. So that means that I can pack a little bit heavier. I roll my suitcase to the taxi cab. They take me to the door. I'm in the tower and then I'm back out the door a week and a half later. For me, thou shall not roll is definitely still in effect, especially when it includes trips with motorcycles, especially when it includes trips that I'm moving around a lot because I just don't want to roll this thing around. I want to be able to move fast. I want to be able to throw my bags in the taxi with me, not in the trunk. So if I have to make a a quick escape, I can do that. The reality is, is like, there's a technological aspect to a lot of these points and how travel is changing as well. 
the cost to making complicated travel arrangements is going down fast. My whole path from here to Bangkok to Chiang Mai and onwards is is completely scripted out in terms of like the vans are going to drive me around and stuff. And five, 10 years ago, that stuff was a lot harder to arrange. And a lot of it you just couldn't arrange ahead of time. So you had to do it in person. And so that plays a role as well. Travel commandment number two, leave 20% of your bag empty. It will increase your speed of packing and it will give you a chance to uh, bring gifts home to your loved ones. I can't say that I do this ever. When you can slip in that extra t-shirt, I mean, you know, get kind of sweaty over in Asia. (laughs) I do it. And so what do I end up with? A stuff bag. You know, it's amazing how much stress there can be in just trying to fit everything back perfectly in your bag, particularly when you're on the move. So this is definitely something I look to. This is totally my problem too, which is I always have to fold my dirty laundry. Like (laughs) there's no chance that I can just crumple it up in a bag and throw it in the bottom of my bag. It's like everything has to be perfectly folded for it to fit back in the backpack. Point number three. I love this. This must have been sort of a breakthrough for us. Use Airbnb. Nowadays in 2017, it's like... Yeah, of course. (laughs) I think maybe this is some kind of breakthrough advice back in 2013. Airbnb, like booking.com and agoda.com have become this golden triangle of resources for me in my life. I use them all the time. And they just, it feels like second nature at this point. You know, I remember when Airbnb first came out, there was all these questions about it. Like, can you trust the place? How's the key handoff going to go? The reality for me is like, yeah, maybe like every once in a while I have a bit of a a weird situation go down. But more often than not, it's delightfully weird. Like the time that I stayed in sort of a ship replica apartment in Paris or something like that, like all kinds of cool things happen because of Airbnb that outweigh the the bad. So for me, the situation now is really focusing on the type of space that I'm going to want to have wherever I'm going. So this became an issue for me with this particular trip that I'm planning to Chiang Mai. Like last year, part of the problem that I had was I wasn't able to entertain people at my house. What that did was it reduced the amount of work that I could do by having meetings and and doing interviews for this podcast. I like sort of inventoried out all these considerations and made sure as I went through my Airbnb plans this year that those specifics were addressed. And I think that really adds up if you're going to stay somewhere for a few weeks. So I was willing to invest a little bit more in my place, knowing that I would get a lot more value out of my time there and more work done while I was there. So again, it's like in terms of bringing the monitor, you know, absolutely. In terms of paying a little extra kilograms to bring the podcasting setup, absolutely. And having a better space to get work done while I'm there, yeah, I'm willing to invest in all those things. I am still actively staying in Airbnb, but I have done some modifications, Dan. One of the modifications that I've done is I generally don't stay in an Airbnb if it's going to be two days or less. And that's just because it's a hassle. I can't believe actually that this hasn't been solved yet by Airbnb and by the hosts. And when I say hassle, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten off a plane. I haven't had a SIM card. I have to figure out how to get a SIM card or how to get a phone number for these people. Then I have to say like, I'm on my way to your place. And they're like, well, we're 30 minutes away or we can't meet you for two hours. It's just like, leave the key outside under the mat. I don't want to meet you. I don't want to talk to you. I just want to go and act like I'm going to a hotel, but I'm really going to a house in a neighborhood because that's what I want, right? I want a hotel experience, but I want to be in a neighborhood and a nice place. You don't want them to leave food in the fridge for you. I don't want them to leave food in the fridge and I just want it to be seamless. And so what I found is that most of the times, unless it's by a professional Airbnb host, it's not seamless. And so if I'm coming into a new city, a lot of times now, I'll just plop down into a hotel and then I'll check into my Airbnb, which is going to be more of a long-term thing. 
Now, let me come in and share the opposite side of this, which is I agree with everything you just said, but here's the cool thing about one or two days in a hotel. It's really fun. That's something that I learned from 2013. Like, you know, staying in a hotel for like three or four days, it becomes a drag because I was bagging on condominium complexes earlier. Like, I just don't like being separated from the street. There's something psychological, like when I have to walk through a lobby or go through the elevator. I just don't like living that way. I want to be able to walk down to the street and be a part of the neighborhood. But for a day or two, considering you got a a good lobby bar, I'm talking about that's fun, you know? And so one of the things I've been doing using Agoda and Booking.com is to look for deals on really cool, fun hotels that can be part of the experience itself. And I think back in 2013, I was more of the mindset that like hotels are kind of just a necessary evil. There's something you put up with in order to go places. And now I think much differently. I think, wow, you know, you can find some really fun, cool places to stay at. And now I have like places around the world, like the Conrad is a good example. I like look forward to going back there and having that experience specifically. You know, Dan, there's another thing that's happened in the last five years since we first recorded this episode. And for me personally, I bought a house that has come with a whole bunch of new challenges and opportunities. One of the things that has popped up, I have a cat also. So, by the way, this particular challenge, whose name is Moxie, has existed way before your house. Yes. <laughs> but now I have two boat anchors in the sand of the United States of America. But I have a solution, which is housesittersofamerica.com. Essentially, what I figured out is that you can have people come to your house, take care of it, pet your cat, feed your cat, and leave it just the way that you left it for them. It's amazing. So they like hang out, watch Netflix and eat popcorn at your place for a month? Yes, for free. And you're not worried about irresponsible people inviting their boyfriends or girlfriends over, having house parties, all that? Well, let me tell you, I have a process around it, my friend. (laughs) I Skype with these people. I interview with these people, ask them questions. It's a whole vetting process. The last couple that came, they were from Norway. They were probably in their 50s. They loved cats. And so for them, it was like a great thing. And so now I'm thinking for me also, Dan, is like, well, when I go somewhere, I want to take care of a cat because I like, or a dog. I like hanging out with animals when I'm in a foreign country. It's not only a great thing for me, it's a great thing for them as well. Now that I've invested in this house, it's like, you want it to be nice, right? And you want people to treat it right. And I didn't think that that was really an opportunity. It's worked out really well. Very cool. In my case, I also have a home base, but in the form of an annual lease, And one of the experiments I considered running, which didn't work out, was putting that place on Airbnb. And I realized how choosy and demanding Airbnb's clients, I'm looking in your direction, boss man, are. Oh, yeah. Because they want it to be seamless. They don't want my stuff in the fridge and they want the key handoff to be clean and simple. And what I realized, you know, I had this idea in my head, it was going to be beautiful. I was going to offset my rent, you know, I was going to make a little bit of money to fund my travels. And what I found was that it's just not worth it. Yeah. Particularly in my case, because the upside is is limited, right? Like the best I can do is almost offset my costs. Unless it's like a really close friend or family member that just wants to take my key and they're, and they're not going to give me any trouble about it. I just leave my place vacant. And the cool thing about having a landlord is I just send all the instructions to my landlord. And for them, it's like best tenant ever, right? Not even here. <laughs> And for me, it's cool, too, because I can collaborate with them and making sure that everything's nice upon my return. This week's podcast is sponsored by Hrefs. 
who are offering one TMBA listener a chance to win a free annual subscription valued at almost $2,000. In order to take advantage and put your name into the hat for that, share this episode on your Facebook page and let us know about it. Ahrefs is an absolutely essential tool set if you're looking to grow your traffic from Google. With Ahrefs, you can easily learn what people in your niche are searching for and how hard it would be to rank number one in Google for these searches. But the best part is, is you don't have to take our word for it. They have a 14-day risk-free trial, which lets you use all of their tools and data for two weeks. So you have nothing to lose. Just head over to ahrefs.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S.com. And you'll get 14 days to check out their software for free. And thanks again to Ahrefs for sponsoring the show. All right, travel commandment number four, get a SIM card within your first 30 minutes in the country. Oh, gosh. This is a fun one for me, Dan. I think I would probably describe myself as relatively cheap, especially five years ago. Okay. (laughs) Thrifty, looking for a deal. Uh I know you've been on this journey with me many times where we've showed up to a place and I said, nah, that SIM card's a little too expensive. I I think I can knock a dollar or two off that. And I will go on a three-hour hunt for the best SIM card at the best price. (laughs) And I remember many times just screwing me over. I'm thinking of times like Berlin, walking around with Ian like a a jerk, Sundays, nothing's open. (laughs) We should have got one at the airport. (laughs) Yes. So that is the lesson now that I abide by. Every time when I land in a new country, I just go to the little kiosk at the airport and get myself a SIM card. Even if it's not the best SIM card, that can be solved on Monday or Tuesday. On a Sunday, I just get any SIM card. So I'm loaded up with my maps. I'm loaded up with all the information that I need to make a successful journey from the airport to the hotel or to the Airbnb. Here's the thing. Sometimes it's tempting to skip the line, to save a few bucks, and not stand there for 30 minutes after you got off a long haul. But whatever line you're looking at at the airport, you're going to pay for it on the back end. Right. Travel commandment number five. Thou shalt not wish away travel time. I still resonate with this point. bit nostalgic today, actually, because I've been getting all my stuff together. I've been inventorying all my clothing, throwing some things away, doing a little spring cleaning. And it's common for people to sort of dread traveling. You know, what's the first thing friends and family that don't travel often say to you? That was a long flight. How was the flight? Oh, my gosh. 15-hour flight? Yeah, exactly that. A flight is a chance for you to cry over a bad romantic comedy, to <laughs> read a new novel, to do some journaling, to write an essay. And in my case, I'm going to be working on our business. I have a few projects that I've put onto the plane and said, I'm going to focus on those on the plane. This time of being on the plane without Wi-Fi has been highly documented on the <laughs> internet as the most productive time in one's life. Totally. <laughs> because you don't have the opportunity to go on Reddit or anything like that. And so I really also relish this time, Dan. So skip the free booze and stick to uh, your work. And just in general speaking, this time of being in transit, it's I think it's prime for reflection. And just it's a strange situation. I, I always like that, thinking about what's the next step and what are you going to accomplish when you land? And what do you hope the next few weeks look like? You touched on something very important there that I feel like is worth bringing up. And this is probably a difference between my 20s and 30s. I still have a very hard time turning down anything that's free. But free booze (laughs) on the airline is especially hard. But I have curbed that habit because never in my life have I ever felt more awful than when I drink on a plane. It's a weird kind of awful. 
Travel commandment number six, take great photos. And in an homage to Tropical MBA episodes past, I also advocated that Camera Plus be downloaded, an application that I still use. But I, <laughs> if you recall, I, I think I was sort of hot on that for about a year and a half. Where I would just continually remind people. So impressed that, you know, this was like, I don't know, it's 2013. Cut me a break. You know, times have changed, boss man. The photo-taking landscape, <laughs> zeitgeist, something has evolved where I've made a new rule for myself, which is this. I do not respect people who are taking photos on the street anymore, which is to say not that I give them disrespect, but that I will never change the trajectory of my walk. <laughs> really? The reality is there's just too many photos being taken. I can't handle it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a ridiculous point. I'm not sure if I can get behind this. Unless you're with a multi-generational family, I will just walk straight through the line of your photo. <laughs> I don't think I have much more to say about this. It's just, there's too many photos. I can't even back my phone up on my computer anymore. There's too many photos. <laughs> Number seven, book a tour. Don't hesitate to buy local knowledge. I wish I would have known this in 2010 and 2009. I know. I was so coy about it. I thought tours were for boring people or old people. So I don't know. I had to, This wasn't for me. It's really about value and getting the most out of your time. This is like one of my favorite things to do now is to go on tours when I go to other cities. I mean, it is so fun. I went on a Jack the Ripper tour when I was in London. That was great. <laughs> Here's my hack about tours. Oh, you know the other tour that I went on? Jane took me. Producer Jane took me on a tour of London. Oh, wow. Showed me all the sites. That was a lot of fun. You know what they say? They say one of the travel commandments we've often talked about is better to go to a B location with an A player yes, than an A location with a B player because people can open up places for you so incredibly, even if that person's not a tour guide or whatever, it's just a friend. Sometimes it's so easy to make that decision. Like if you're just looking at a map, you say, oh, I'm going to go to Paris instead of going to a tertiary city where you have a friend. Go to the tertiary city. Easy call. Always go to the tertiary city. But here's my number one hack for these tours. First thing, book a couple of them. Book a food tour, book a fun tour like Jack the Ripper, then maybe book a historical tour. But do the tours early on in the trip because then it opens, like you said, it opens up these cities too. So now when you're walking by this building, you can say to people on the street, look at that building. That's where this guy got killed uh -huh. or something like that. So do the tour early because it makes, I think, walking around the city for your rest of your trip a little bit more enjoyable. You're the most interesting guy. You know, sometimes I do that in Barcelona. I do freelance tourist consulting because it makes me feel <laughs> smart. I just walk up to obvious Americans and I'm like, what do you need? I got all the inside info. <laughs> Travel commandment number eight, do your homework. Not all airlines are created equal. Make sure to check out for extra baggage fees. Watch your points and do use sites like SeekGuru.com when choosing your seats. I have a few things to say about this, Dan. I was on a flight this summer with Ryanair. Have you ever flown Ryanair? Oh, yeah. It's one of these budget airlines. You know what happened to me? Can you guess what happened to me? Mm, no. I forgot to print my boarding pass. Do you know how much that cost me? Oh, 40 euros. You have to go to the back of the line. No, no, no. I think it was like $150 <laughs> or something. It was me and my girlfriend traveling together. So this is a game that these budget airlines play. It's, your bag's got to be a special size. It's got to be a certain weight. You got to print your boarding pass ahead of time. And it's, it's a whole big scam. And they got me. And it happens every once in a while. But the truth is, if you're going to be travel hacking, you really have to be on top of your game. 
Second thing I want to talk about is lounges. You know, I was at a party the other night. Everybody's talking about their status. Oh, I have gold status with this airline, with that airline. I get to fly this, that. It's a lot of crap. And over the years, Dan, I've had status. I've had access to lounges. And let me tell you, it is nice to sit in that lounge. But you know what's even nicer? Not having to monkey around with the status and with the points. I fly a lot. I travel a lot probably just as much as these people that have the statuses. And I can tell you, I don't mind hanging out with the plebes. In fact, I kind of like it. I get to go to Subway, eat a nice sub. The food in these lounges isn't that nice. So my travel tip these days is don't worry about that stuff. Just enjoy your time, like we talked about. Listen to a podcast, work on something on your computer, and worrying about this lounge stuff is a little bit crazy. Can you imagine all the fanfare you put into these lounges? You take that thing out of the airport, toss it into downtown, and it's one step above a food court. It's awful. (laughs) You're absolutely right. None of these things live up to their expectations. The thing that is nice with the status is definitely flying business class and things like that. But I question whether it's worth all the time and effort. I mean, look, I totally feel you on this. And this is my, I love flying business class. I love it, but I'm not willing to work for it. I'm not. I just don't care that much. The status that I have, I've earned. It's called Middle Seek Zen Hero. I just sit there, watch my rom-coms, read my novels, and I get through it. And honestly, I'd rather do that than spend you know, that critical few days leading up to travel. I'm getting work done. I'm not trying to like call a bunch of airlines. It's going to be gone in 10 hours. Right. Anyway, I kind of came down the same way that you did. Although, part of the reason we've had shows about this topic is Look, if you're out there and you can make this stuff easy, if you can make it easy for me to fly business class, like, yeah, that's great. That's something that I think everyone wants. This stuff is intentionally complex, and that's part of the reason why I feel like an a-hole when I'm doing all that stuff that they want me to do, and so I just don't do it, and I sit in the middle seat. That's how I roll. All right, number nine, thou shall not lose your arse on money transactions. Let's not talk about this. Let's just pass on to number 10. One thing I will say about the money thing is I generally leave a country with a couple bucks. And the reason why that's important is because now when I'm showing up to Bangkok next week, I got a couple Bangkok bucks. And what that means is that I don't have to roll through to the ATM. I can just hop straight in the taxi. So it's not that I necessarily plan it, but I don't try and spend every dollar when I'm leaving the country. I don't mind having a wad of cash because when I go back, it makes it easy. Fair enough. And finally, our number 10 travel commandment from 2013. Don't feel you have to do certain things that you wouldn't do at home. This is not a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Do what you love, and it might be the same thing that you do at home, but in a different place. I think I remember the essence of this, and I, I still feel very strongly about this, actually, which is... Don't go out of your way to be a tourist. Just because you're in Paris, like it doesn't mean that you have to do everything you're, quote, supposed to do when you're in Paris. A lot of us, Dan, we travel a fair amount. There's a good chance that you're going to be back in Paris one time. Just because your mom visits a certain museum doesn't mean you have to visit it. When I was first getting traveling, you, you don't know what it means necessarily to travel. You're trying to learn and, and you read travel guides and the guides guide you to these places, right? And so I think that the point of this commandment is just like some of the most compelling travel that I've seen are, number one, people just doing normal stuff, like meet normal people, go to their work with them. That can be utterly fascinating. And the other thing is going somewhere to get engaged in a project. And that's the opportunity that everyone listening to this show has. And that's part of the reason that I think 
this is so utterly compelling, you know? For me, my experience is so different in Chiang Mai than what the backpackers is. I'm going there to interact with cyclists. You know, that was so valuable to me, to be able to go to like workshops and talk with folks who fix bikes, to be able to ride with local guys and hear about their perspective, to be able to ride with people that have moved there, to be part of the scene. You know, whatever your scene is, travel's an opportunity to go crash it, you know, whether that's from a professional perspective or a personal perspective. And I think that that's what gets me so excited about this upcoming trip and about travel in general. Really good point, Dan. I like your idea of having your hobbies follow you wherever you go because it's like you have a built-in community. You know, when you go to Chiang Mai, you're going to have a built-in cycling community. If you went to France, it would be the same thing. You have something to talk about with the locals there. The reality is, is that it's depth, you know? And I think that that's why tourism, it is what it is, right? There's no depth in, in walking past monuments and, and looking at them, right? It's fine. It's cool. It's pretty nice to do, but I think there's a bigger opportunity just to go get involved in a project, whether that's business, charity, hobby, and uh, get your hands dirty with it. Get to meet the people who are actually doing stuff. If you want to pick up a keychain of the Eiffel Tower, though, that's on you. You can do that. Yeah, wow, it is beautiful. So, Bossman, when do you leave for Bangkok? Monday. And I do hope you'll take some of these commandments and circle back to that packing list. It's a bit sparse. You're going to need more than just a Friday night shirt. I'm trying to think about where my Saturday night and Sunday night shirt are. I might actually have to go shopping for those. (laughs) It might be in the store that you're going to have to go to cram at the last minute. Boss man, thanks for joining me. I look forward to seeing you on another continent, on another show, on another Thursday morning. See you then. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday morning. See you in Bangkok, Dan. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.